The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. your pencils and get your notebooks out. It's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Phantom. Welcome, students, to this special edition of the Star Seminar. We have a special study session in advance of finals month. And so we thought we'd take this opportunity to get you prepped for this final month by talking both about what's on the horizon, but more specifically, what the Cowboys have been doing in the last couple of weeks. To guide you through this process, we have at my side, as always, the great Nobel Laureate of Cowboysology, Dr. Danny Phantom, and I, as always, am Dr. Rabble Rouser. Nobel Laureate Phantom, how are you today, sir? You know, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm well rested. Um, I will tell you this. I remember, I always remembered um, this part of the year in school where it was just kind of like a nice little help me catch up sort of thing. You know, you get the extra time and then, but it just really allows you to kind of just get, get caught up. If you're a little bit, uh, a little bit behind, get yourself uh, ready for the, the, the final stretch, which is, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's, you know, that's hopefully what's what we're, we're going to accomplish today uh, as we talk about the Cowboys and we're, you know, and what's looking ahead. But, um, you know, I, so I, also, one thing too is that I um, I'm feeling a little a little lethargic in the sense of I have overeaten. Um, I I try to be more smart about how I manage my food intake, but for some reason I failed to do that. And yesterday was man, I just I, I still feel full. Uh, just mm-hmm. absolutely love all the all the delicious treats that come along with this this holiday and i wanted to before we get started and talk football stuff perhaps i kind of wanted to ask you like what is your favorite thanksgiving dishes it's funny that you frame it this way because i actually was doing the same thing right i was trying to be very judicious about not overeating before the meal because a lot of times what happens is there's all these great appetizers like we had a charcuterie board and we had chips and dips we had all kinds of stuff out um and you know uh, while you, while you're getting ready for the meal, you can just kind of snack casually, and by the time you sit down at the table, you're like, I'm actually pretty full. So I didn't want to feel that way. I only had like a little bit of 
food. I didn't have breakfast or anything. And I was pretty, I was pretty hungry when I sat down, sat down, had one full plate, nice, nice plate. Didn't didn't go to crazy. And then later in the night, that's when I, that's when I overindulged. So I actually went back before I went to sleep. I went back and had another little bowl of stuffing mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I had another, I had another slice of cranberry nut bread. And so, you know, I, I ended up doing my overindulging on the, on the uh, opposite side from what I normally do. Um, but I'm totally with you feeling a little lethargic, feeling full. And I think my answer to my question is in what I went back for, for seconds, it's which was stuffing. So I grew up, um, in a household that there wasn't a lot of good cooking. Um, my wife's an excellent cook now, however, and I've become a pretty good cook. And so I actually make this, I, I'm the one who does all the Thanksgiving uh, meal. And so I make a cornbread stuffing with, with sausage and, you know, it's got like apples and stuff in it. And, nice. it's, uh, and, it, and it's, it's pretty tasty. It's got a lot of spices. Um, it's got a little heat, you know. Um, so I really like it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so that uh, I, I was getting ready to go to bed after doing some, doing, Re, sort of rewatching the game and doing a little bit of just doing a little bit of prep for our conversation today and i was like mm, there's stuffing in the refrigerator so i went back and got, had that extra, extra helping of stuffing the one thing i didn't do was put gravy on it and of course it's absolutely sublime with gravy and gravy gravy is the, the key to thanksgiving it unifies all the elements you got to have it on your turkey you got to have it on your mashed potatoes you got to have it on your stuffing absolutely how about you my friend what's your favorite uh, thanksgiving uh, dish or side well, it's funny you mentioned gravy because I mean, to me, I you know, call me boring, but my favorite is I just love, I love having turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy in a nice roll, and just have have like an open yeah. face, and just to me, that's that is that is heavenly. And I, I mean, there are a lot of other things that are delicious too. Um, my mom makes a wonderful macaroni salad, um, mm -hmm. but I am a I'm a huge. I just love the turkey and taters and gravy and. And roll. I will say this though, probably my 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 indulgences also come from the amount of sweets that we have. There's we have an assortment of different things from banana pudding and fruit salad, and, and one of my fa personal favorites is lemon meringue pie. Um, yes. So mm -hmm. that's that to me is. But we have pumpkin pie, and my wife makes good cheesecake i mean i always and i will go and i'll get this little plate of a little bit of everything sort of thing and oh i'll tell you what that that is pretty filling really quick but um so i love the basics but i also love the, the desserts too so i have i have a handful of, of favorites but i tell you what who i uh, i'm gonna fill this for and, and you know what the eating the eating's not done i'm this is like a four-day process that's uh, right so that's so. the beautiful part about thanksgiving and that's in fact why we like to do the cooking is because I, I think Thanksgiving dinner, like all those elements we've been talking about is probably like my death row meal. I love that meal. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the thing about Thanksgiving, I love the day itself, but the thing I love the most is the leftovers that the turkey sandwiches, all that kind of yes. stuff. But I also, well, the other thing I love is, uh, and to me, truly the most delicious dish is a Thanksgiving victory on, mm. on Turkey, uh, for the Cowboys on Turkey day. So, um, before we move on to talk about uh, this this year's particular Thanksgiving game, I'd love to get uh, you know get your input on some some favorite uh, Cowboys Thanksgiving games from the past. Do you have one that that uh, leaps out at you that that you really is most memorable? I have a couple that are most memorable. I think um, one of the most memorable ones is actually the Leon Lett field goal one. 
Um, of course, and of course. It, only because that was my first Thanksgiving with my eventual wife and um, and her family, and um, I think they got God bless them, man. They 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 kept you on, even though I'm sure you were pouting that day. Uh, it was it was hard. It was that was a hard day for sure. And I don't know, I can't recall the the mood that I set for that uh, afternoon. Uh, but I'm sure they got a first glimpse of what this their future son-in-law is is going to be like with you know so um tied into the to, you know to what to the outcome of a football mm-hmm. game and it was it was a tough one to, to to see the game snatched from us in that manner you know darn you leon let um but i so that's certainly a big memory for me for for those two reasons there but also i think one of my favorites and you know and we, we've talked about this before like when you have that aha moment. And uh, I remember having that aha moment for Tony Romo in the, mm. the Tampa Bay. Um, I was actually at that game. Yes, that was I, I, I 100%. Yes. So that, I mean, I think he had like five touchdowns in that game. And uh, that's when, you know, that, that was the season of 2006 that, you know, he, that he took over for, um, for Breeze. And I think we were all kind of like, well, we're all, we were all pretty tired of Drew Breeze, but we're, I uh, drew Bledsoe. Well, Bledsoe, yes, Bledsoe. Yeah, yeah. Well, no one's tired of Drew Brees. We would, we would welcome <laughs> Drew Brees for sure. Uh, drew Bledsoe, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Tony Romo was kind of a, a nice uh, breath of fresh air. And then you know when he had that game against uh, Tampa Bay, I was like, you know, this we could do something here with this guy. You know, we could do something. Um, I forget. I don't know. I don't. I remember. I think Terry Glenn had. Uh, maybe he had a Terry Glenn had a couple. He actually threw into Mar- Mar- Marion Barber. But I tell you what, the one that that's I'm so glad you you brought that one up because I I'd forgotten about that one. And you're absolutely right. I remember sitting there with sort of slack jawed going, "Oh my God, this kid is good." Mm-hmm. And the, and the play that did that for me there was a it was a, a long pass down the right sideline to Patrick Creighton for a touchdown, and it was a dime. I mean, he hit it. He hit him in stride, perfect, and he ran in for a touchdown. And I was like. Holy, holy smokes! This kid is good, and it just it gave it gave a dy- a dynamic um, feel to the offense that had just been lacking for a long time as they as they went through all these kind of retread quarterbacks and Testaverde and then Bledsoe and you know in two thousand four two thousand five, hundred percent absolutely. Um, speaking of aha moments, I, one of the one of the um, favorite thanksgiving memories for me was the 1990 thanksgiving when the cowboys were playing division rival washington and it was really that was the year especially the second half of that year where the triplets really began to kind of mature and emerge i had actually gone to a game in anaheim earlier that year where they played the rams and beat the rams by a field goal but like you know it was clear the team wasn't that good but emmett smith and troy aikman and michael Irvin were awesome and carried the team and carried them to a victory and um and, the, and that same thing happened in 1990 and uh, later in the year in that Thanksgiving where, if you remember, Emma had a long run at the end. And I, it was that game that made me think, you know what? I'm going to make it a priority to see every Cowboy game that these guys played. And I haven't missed a game since. And so that was the, that was, and I, you know, they were, they were harder to, to get on TV and, and things like that than, than they are now. But nonetheless, I, I like decided to make it my life goal not to miss a game. The following year in 1991 was actually a really big game because if you remember the week before Troy Aikman got injured in a, in an amazing victory over the undefeated Washington team. And uh, so Steve Berline was the quarterback and we didn't know what that was going to be like. I and mean, he came in and played great in that, 
victory over Washington, but you know, you, you're, you're, you're losing your, your, you know, starting quarterback first draft first round pick, you know, elite quarterback, you don't know what's going to happen. And they, they beat a good Steelers team 20 to 10. And Michael Irvin had a big long catch and run in which he shed Rod Woodson. If you remember that, and that was awesome. Russell Mellon had a couple sacks and, and, and played really well. And then, um, and of course the, and then of course, uh, Couple, couple, three years later, the the year after the game you cited uh, was that 1994, and that's really the one where I think that it was a combination of everything. Where it was a good game, um, uncertainty going in, and then you know, sort of jubilation as as the game wore on, which was the Jason Garrett game, the game against the Packers. Packers were a really good team, and uh, probably the best team they played on Thanksgiving in years. And uh, it was a really important game for NFC, you know, seeding. And they were getting stomped on early on. And Jason Garrett looked overwhelmed. And all of a sudden, he just, in the second half, decided to throw a bunch of bombs to, to Irvin and, and to Harper. And, you know, they end up they end up um, scoring 42 points and outscoring, outscoring the Packers and, and Brett Favre. And it was just awesome. So, yeah, so there's been some there's been some good ones. Um, but I tell you what, let's 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 transition if we can into uh, another good one, which was uh, a dub over a, a, another division rival, the the New York Football Giants. So, um, they, they've now, you know, we, we're now how many games? We're now five games into Dak's return, yes. right? So we've got he ran he ran the gamut of the uh, NFC North, and now we and now we have a division. Uh, win over the Giants. They've been four and one in those games. So I think we can talk a little bit about sort of what that means since Dak's come back, and 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 do that within the context of of this particular game. So if we do that, it does appear, you know, you and I talked a lot after the Green Bay game before before they faced off against the Vikings that there were some unsettling trends. We, we, I think we promised that we weren't going to get you know, too deep into our feelings about them, but that, but that there were some things that were happening and we did, weren't sure if they were patterns or if they were just things that were kind of happening. And I think if we look at those five games since Dak got back, that in some ways the Green Bay game seems more like a blip, more like an aberration than it does a trend. Um, and I think the place to start with that might just be the run defense. So uh, what, what are your thoughts about how the Cowboys uh, defended the run against the Giants. And, he, and he, we can even talk about how they defended the run against the Vikings as well, if you'd like. Yeah, I would like. I, I would actually like to start there because I felt like we didn't get an answer after the Vikings game because, mm-hmm. to me, and we kind of talked with our, our Packers guest about, like, well, what if Aaron Rodgers doesn't – what if they're just Aaron Rodgers is going to throw the ball and they, they don't do what other teams have done and just – commit to the running game and of course the Packers did commit and, and and it worked but the Vikings did not and I was very thrown off by that because I don't think I mean the game script it didn't get out of hand until until later as it, but they just seemed like like they just don't have it in them to be a, a, a committed running team so I honestly didn't feel like I got a good assessment uh-huh. of the Cowboys and how they Defended the run because actually when I went back and rewatched the film, they're really when they did run, they still got good gains. There was there wasn't many of them because they didn't do it, but the Cowboys still had some problems. So it kind of felt especially on the perimeter, especially they've been having trouble. Absolutely yeah. on the perimeter, yeah. And almost mm-hmm. like whenever they did run, I think honestly, I really think they they gave up big gains on four out of five time 
times that they ran on the perimeter. I think there was one time they defended it pretty well, kept them to three yards, contained the outside. Donovan Wilson, I think, made a good play. But outside of that, it's like, nope, they they're just can't stop it. But Minnesota did not keep at it, which really surprised me. Um, mm-hmm. Now, moving forward to the Giants, uh, the Giants, was a, they were a little more committed. Of course, they had to be. I do think the Giants had a fantastic game plan. I want to point that out too i when i was watching the game especially early you know and they uh mm-hmm. they were doing this misdirection bootlegs and just they were always they get the cowboys leaning the wrong way i thought they would had a great game plan for the cowboys um and it, it, you know it kept them in it early because of it too but the run i do think the run defense got better for dallas i do think think that they're uh, certainly i don't think the, um the new york was able to run up the middle I thought that the Cowboys did a good job. I there, they didn't, there wasn't many uh, good running plays. I think it was, I don't even know the guy's name, but it was like their third stringer guy that had some good runs. Um, yeah, that was that one drive where they, where they had both Saquon Barkley, and I think his last name was Brightman, um, uh, who was in. And and so what they were using, they were using Barkley strangely, largely as a decoy, right? And, uh, and so it was... Um, uh, what the heck was his name? I'm trying to think of it. No, it's not uh, Matt Breida because Breida's the number two. It was Gary Gary Brightwell. Gary Brightwell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he had, he had like a 15 yard run, an 11 yard run off of misdirection. Um, but I, I, you're 100 percent right. It, they really had a hard time running. If you look at Saquon Barkley, he only had two runs over over four yards, uh, a bunch of three yard and two yard runs, a couple. Uh, he had one negative run. Um, he had one 10 yard run, but that was later in the game. Um, they did a great job of, of, of limiting him, of playing. Uh, I think it feels like since the Green Bay game, they've really been talking a lot. You, you've seen it in those sounds from the sideline um, clips that the that the team releases. And we've even heard players talking about that pass rush is a privilege, right? Pass rush is a privilege. It's the kind of thing that, that you earn, and you earn it because you get you get a double-digit lead, but you also earn it by stopping the run and getting them in pass rush situations. And so I feel like they've been doing a, a lot better at getting into those situations. They've been doing a lot better at playing. I think the gap integrity has been better. Um, feels feels like feels like things are, are, are coming along in that direction. So if you take away, like, I mean, obviously you can't do this because, you know, running is a totality, but if you take away some of those bigger runs, um, the the two bright roll runs, they, they averaged 3.3 yards a carry. And they, they had very few runs that were of more than six yards, right, or six or more yards. And so I think the thing about that is the difference in the last couple of games, you were right, I think they got an incomplete after the Vikings game because the Vikings didn't um, try to use the run to threaten them. And, and obviously they got taken out of that pretty early on. But um, but they did run successfully on the perimeter. And Cook had a couple of 11 murders <laughs> that continued to, to upset my stomach because I was like, they haven't they haven't figured out how to stop this yet. Uh Against the Giants, they gave up some big runs. But I think the key here is that it's okay to give up big runs. Like, ultimately, the yards per carry doesn't matter as long as there's not a consistent, like, five, six, mm-hmm. seven, five, right? If There's a point where if every, if every run you're gaining, you know, um, half of what you need, you know, to, to get a first down or something like that, then – uh, then what that means then is eventually you, it, it doesn't matter whether you have a pass rush and it doesn't matter how well you defend the pass because you can't stop the run. If you have a high yards per 
yards per carry, but you're, um, you're that you're giving up, but you're giving up a lot of three yard runs, a lot of two yard runs, and then every once in a while you give a 15 yarder. That actually doesn't matter because you're still defending the run consistently well enough so you can get them into meaningful, um, you know, advent advantageous down and distances uh, uh, on third down and passing downs, and that's what they were able to do. That's what they were able to do. So uh, I thought they did a really nice job. Uh, against Saquon Barkley in particular, I mean, he really he never he never broke out. He never had that one sort of signature big run that he he tends to always have against the Cowboys that that like shifts the field. And um, I, I agree that the Giants had a really good game plan: run the ball, a lot of short passes. I mean, the first two drives they didn't even run the ball at all. They just they wanted to try to just establish Daniel Jones in the passing game. They a lot of short passes, a lot of a, a lot of um, you know, a, a lot of sort of short timing routes. And then every once in a while, they took the big shot. They obviously had the, 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 the big, the big pass down to the one on their, on their touchdown drive early. But other than that, it was, it was very, very tough sledding. I do also want to point out, however, that in the, in the last meaningful drive that the Giants had, um, which was that one where they took over after they were down 28, 13, and they really needed, and they needed to basically be in hurry up and pass, pass, pass. They didn't. And they didn't because they're terrified of the Cowboys pass rush. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things we're seeing that we really didn't, I mean, I guess in some ways we've been seeing this for, for several weeks now, which is that um, the Cowboys pass rush is, is so fierce that uh, rival offensive coordinators are literally not sleeping at night as a result of, of, of it and looking at the tape and people are terrified of it. And they're, they're going away from their philosophy. They're switching out their game plans, et cetera, I think as a way to, to kind of deal with it. Um, so the, the Cowboys, I think are going to, we saw this against green Bay. We saw this against the giants. I think every once in a while they're going to give up a big pass because teams are going to have to take a shot every now and again. But the one thing we're not going to see is teams passing the ball down the field, uh, with a lot of intermediate passes, like 15 to 25 yard passes. We're just not seeing a lot of those because those things aren't coming open. The Cowboys defensive backs are doing a great job, but also uh, quarterbacks don't have the time. No. They don't have the time. So what they can do if they want to take a deep shot is max protect and have one guy go deep and they'll throw, they'll throw a deep pass. Mm -hmm. But like, if you remember those long passes to, to, to the Packers, a right. lot of times they were max protecting. Right. And, uh, and they'd have one guy go deep and they happen to hit those. And Rogers was on his game through a couple of dimes, you know, Watson had, a, had the game of his life. It happens. Right. But, but for the but teams cannot, you know, like send five guys into the route, hit hit uh, intermediate passes with any regularity, and that's pretty awesome because that's really where that's where teams win. Like that's where uh, offenses win. You can run the ball, that's great. You can throw deep occasionally and hit one, that's great. But where you, where you win, as I've been talking about for weeks, is uh, explosive plays. But explosive plays are not eighty yard plays. They're like twenty yard passes, you know, on the sidelines, you know, uh, uh, in the inter inter intermediate zones, um, you know. Uh, over the middle, you know, all, all those, all those kind of those sort of areas, depending on what kind of defense we're, we're going up against. And so um, the fact that the Cowboys give up very, very few of those, and to the point now that their pass rush has basically um, encouraged rival offensive coordinators to stop even calling those plays is pretty awesome. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting raps too. I'm glad you brought this up too, because this is what, one of the things about this team that makes me excited, because if you look at, some of the Cowboys' toughest competition, you know, to get the path to the Super Bowl. And I, to me, those teams are, it's it's Philadelphia and San Francisco, in, in my opinion. And I'm not worried about Jimmy Garoppolo hitting 
making those deep plays, those deep passes. Mm-mm. I don't think he's going to be able to do that. And also, too, we saw the Eagles. They were also they were they knew they were going up against Cooper Rush, so they had a different. Uh, they didn't have like big drive. It was just they manufactured it with small plays mm-hmm. and misdirection stuff. So I think that the Cowboys actually, if they if they are you know they will they will send only four and they'll back back off. You know, other players will pop pop back, and then they're covering this intermediate stuff. It really makes it hard on defenses to where, I mean, what are you going to do? And you're absolutely right. The teams fear the pass rush, and you you can't operate like you you would like to be a, and just kind of sit there and have time in the pocket to to be able to get yourself back in the game. So, I it's very nice to see to see what we've seen over there. But one of the reasons I think, and it's it, to me, it's the biggest one. I know I. I and maybe like just like beating a dead horse, but I I feel like it just all comes down to how how Prescott plays, you know. And then I think you know you look at the if you look at the the Green Bay game, and you know we want to say is that an aberration, not a trend? And I think that it is it's probably it is an anomaly too. I think you had um, I think when when the offense sputters too, and there's a, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of that game where the offense did next to nothing um, in that game. I think that you're going to see uh, it's a different it's, it's it's a different situation, but you, you're not seeing those things in the last two games. And there are times like in this Giants game too, uh, you know we had some opportunities squandered because of some turnovers, and um, so it was closer. But I still think that what we're seeing now is a very good Dak Prescott, and I think that's I think that's the straw that stirs the drink, and it's just. I mean, it's all, I guess most people would say, of course, that he is. He's the quarterback. But if you look at how the Cowboys performed, it's just when Prescott is is playing, when he's confident, he's playing well. It's it, it just the, every it just trickles down. It the, the whole and no, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You're absolutely right. I think that it, you you're spot on that Green Bay was the anomaly, and it was the anomaly both for the running defense and the fact that the uh, the fact that as you as you rightly pointed out, the Packers uncharacteristically stuck with the run, and it was also an anomaly in the sense that the Dak Prescott was off his game, and and the offense really had a hard time generating those explosive plays that we're talking about, sort of intermediate passes. Um, when they do do that, when when everything's clicking, it, it puts so much pressure on offenses, and the Cowboys can make teams one-dimensional which is of course what we want them to, to do and when, when the Cowboys get double-digit leads which again the great anomaly of the Packers game was that they had the double-digit lead that we know is the game script that they want and, and they couldn't and, and and then it didn't really serve them against the Giants once they did the Giants were like oh boy <laughs> we're gonna have to start running now even though that's not the best way for us to get back in the game because if we're gonna we can't expose Daniel Jones to a pass rush down two scores plus um so what's happening then is the Cowboys are getting teams into undesirable uh, down and distances and feasting. So the last two games against the Giants and Vikings, the uh, Cowboys opponents on third down are four out of 22. So the, the Vikings were one out of 11. The Giants are three out of 11. Meanwhile, the Cowboys with Dak, and we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about Dak and the offense, but I think that you know, you've given us a little bit of a, of a segue there. The Cowboys – are 19 out of 28 on third down it's 68 percent. so um yeah i mean it's incredible it's incredible so uh, they are converting third downs all the time and a lot of them have been third and long so it's not like the cowboys are um are doing something necessarily that's sustainable i think that's probably uh that's probably a a blip but you're right that 
um, that Dak is is the straw that starts the drink. So uh, uh, let, let's let's transition to the offense a little bit. But before we do, I wanted to sort of touch on that. Something came out uh, either late yesterday, or early today. We're recording on Friday, um, where uh, folks from Next Next Gen Stats pointed out that uh, seven uh, Dak was seventeen point seven percent of his passes uh, is CPO CPOE, which was completed passes above or over expectation he he had a 17.7 rate um for for that and which was the highest uh rate for anybody who had 30 plus pass attempts in the last three seasons so he had the best game in terms of gaining more yards than the play should have been expected to gain of any quarterback in the last three years so so you know you're talking about Dak being the the straw that serves the drink he's doing so and he's doing so by defying what the play should be gaining. Um, and so the other thing I want to want to also just sort of talk to touch on is as we get ready to transition to the offense is uh, not only is Zach, uh, excuse me, Dak doing well, but, you know, last year, one of the things we saw was a real drop off in the running game. When they, when they had that, that great run up into new England, the, the, the two headed monster of the running game was really, really doing well Zeke looked fresh Zeke looked explosive last year and then and then he got injured and he wasn't and then the blocking fell off and everything the wheels kind of fell off the whole operation this year they very wisely gave him some rest waited for him to get to get back and be ready and uh for me anyway uh last night he looked as fresh and explosive as he's looked at any point this year absolutely and that's that and the fact so Basically, they trusted Tony Pollard this year, and I think that's also part of the transformation of Pollard, right? Is that Pollard is now the kind of back who could take all the carries on a game, for a couple games anyway, because he's a stronger, more durable back. He's built his body up. He's a more powerful back than he was the first few years of his career. Um, So that because of what has happened to Tony Pollard, because of, I think, their belief in Malik Davis, they, they... but also what they learned last year, they were able to, to give Zeke some rest. And then Zeke, uh, you know, I mean, this was the kind of game where they needed the, the bludgeon, not the knife. Like, they needed the hammer. Uh, Tony Pollard actually didn't do much. And they were keying on him. I think he's also probably a little – he's probably a step slower because he's kind of worn out a little bit over the last couple couple games. He had, you know, a huge game against the Vikings. But also is the, the, the Giants are the kind of defense, big interior defense where you need – you need to call him the hammer, and then you, you'll you'll let the let the stiletto have a rest. And so, um, you know, Pollard Pollard got a lot of carries, but he wasn't particularly effective. But Zeke sure was, and it was great. It was great to see. It was, and I'll tell you what, the reps. It's 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 so interesting, you know, to see uh, as far as like you absolutely like Zeke was the guy yesterday. Pollard was like, what what's going on there? But to me, and and I, and I will say this: the same is true last year when when Pollard was getting getting the runs and Zeke was averaging small gains too is sometimes it, it's what they do with with the holes that they're given on that given play. And I think that Zeke had more opportunities. If you look at, you know, he had some holes, so some opportunities to run there. And so I'm not I'm not discrediting Zeke at all. But I'd, at the same time, I'm defending him last year that sometimes the blocking was a little better for, for Pollard. But you're absolutely right. Elliot looked more fresh. I really love what the Cowboys are doing. It's like they're a full-blown committee now. It's no longer... Mm-hmm. Elliot with the little Pollard sprinkled in, you know, it, they're a full blown committee. The way that they, they're rotating these guys, they're using these running backs extremely well. And, and it's a little disappointing that it's, that we haven't 
gotten to this sooner because, you know, we've kind of been pleading for this and we've seen how effective they are because both running backs look like they they have a lot of energy when, when they come in. Pollard, too, even though he didn't have a big game, um, you know, he runs, he's such a physical runner, too. You People yeah. underestimate just how strong this guy is because we always think of him as a fast guy. Uh, but Elliott, too, you know, he was just popping through there and plays with so much physicality. And, and um, it was just great to see. I mean, those two together, it's it's really nice. And they're able to to just wear teams down. And, and the blocking, too, as you said, you know, we didn't see this in the second part of last year. And uh, this is something that I think that you've helped me learn is the, the Cowboys offensive line just wasn't as good as I thought they were last season. And this year with the, these younger players, they're, they're, they're playing so much better. And I mean, they're, they're blocking so well. If you try to go anything on the right side with, with Steele and Zach Martin, I mean, and even Tyler Biotis too, you're constantly seeing him just, you know, getting executing his blocks. It's, it's really fun to watch, but yeah, the, the running game is working and it's, it's, and when that happens, it makes so much, so many things easier for Mr. Prescott. And so it's nice to see. I'm very happy with uh, how the Cowboys offense is operating. Yeah. So let's talk, let's, let's talk about the offense some more, because I think there's a lot more to, to kind of unpack about the offense. So uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to share some, some stats with everybody that you actually sent to me, right. About, about what's going on. I think we, we can agree that the offense as well as the whole team in general, but the offense in particular had a little bit of a slow start, but they really picked it up. Um, but since Dax got back, there's some, I think some really important stats to share. They've had four straight 400 yard games of, uh, of total offense. Um, after they had none prior their touchdown totals in those four games after the Detroit game, where I think Dak was just really sort of feeling his way mm-hmm. six touchdowns against the bears, four against the Packers, four against the Vikings, four against the giants. So very consistently scoring 28 points. Um, as I said earlier, they're incredibly successful in third down in the last couple of weeks. They're averaging 33.8 points a game. And I think the important thing to remember is other than the Detroit game where they got five turnovers, they're doing this without getting a lot of turnovers on defense, without getting a lot of the short fields, without even, I mean, maybe I can think of maybe one or two Turpin returns that really sort of like, you know, help them turn the field position over they're not getting a lot of short fields. They're just grinding out very consistently grinding out long drives. Um, So just in terms of turnovers, so they did, they were plus four against Detroit. They got five turnovers against Detroit since then. They, they, they got two against green Bay. They were even, um, they're even against Chicago. They were plus one against Minnesota. Was that, that turnover early in the game, right? With the strip sack, but there wasn't any after that. So that was just a straight up beat down. There were no cheap scores. And then they were actually minus two against the Giants. Um, so to, to, to open up a 15 point lead late in the game after being minus two against the team, that's a, you know, that's a good team. Um, is is a is pretty impressive. You don't often see that. Typically, what happens is when you, if you're minus two against a good team, then you're then you're in a tight game or you're behind. And so um, the the sort of scary thing about this is they're doing this without getting all those like gobs of turnovers that they got last year. They're frankly uh, right now a better team than they were last year because I think there was a, some of some of what made them so good on paper last year was illusory they were getting a lot of short fields and cheap scores and those kind of things i think as we've, we've talked about a lot on this podcast are not replicable year to year not necessarily replicable game to game but um this is this is just a, 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 i think a, a better team it is i don't i mean without question to me i mean 
I know that, yeah, we, we all knew the turnover regression was, was going to happen, but I don't know if any of us mm-hmm. anticipated that we were going to blow up the sacks, you know, especially when you talk about, we you know, they lost Randy Gregory. We didn't, we didn't resign. Mm-hmm. We didn't go after Von Miller, like many people wanted to. And so we kind of had a, I mean, we still had a decent pass rush, but does anybody expect it to be this, this great? I mean, I, I and of course I've said this a lot too. It's like, Seeing the Cowboys utilize Micah as an edge rusher, I mean, I don't even know how that's even a tough decision because that guy is just so good. I mean, when you watch him, Rabs, and like it's so fun to watch too because uh, you know there's there's like a timer. You got X amount of time to get the ball. He's gonna mm-hmm. he's going to shove shove the tackle back, but create space, and then the space that he's created, he's going to get by one way or another. He's going to go around the edge or he's going to dart inside, but he has pushed you off. Even though the guy's undersized to the tackle, he's going to push you off, and he's going to get there. He is going to get there, and it's just incredible. And if he doesn't get there, he's making the quarterback move into the path of another guy who's just ready to sack you. So it's just, I mean, it's just incredible to why. I just, I think that the Cowboys' mm-hmm. defense, I mean, Dan Quinn's just done, done such a marvelous job at having a weapon like Micah Parsons on on this team is just, what a you know, what a luxury for the Cowboys With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, I, I actually, actually t- so we talked about the way that the Green Bay game is an aberration. And the, one of the other areas in which it was an aberration is how much they played him at off-ball right. linebacker in that game by necessity. So let's so let's actually take a moment to give some love and extra help and a gravy to our friend uh, Damone Clark. Because as a rookie who just came into the game again, against Detroit because, you know, he just started practicing. You know, I mean, incredible uh, rebound for him from very dangerous, potentially career-ending neck surgery. He's starting to round into form, and he is big and fast and physical, and I think he's a smart player, and they are beginning to trust him more and more. I wouldn't be surprised, frankly, if he's if he's um, Wally Pipped Anthony, uh, Anthony Barr. Right. Because – you know, Anthony Barr didn't come back against the Vikings as they were expecting him to. He didn't play against the Giants as they were expecting him to. And every game, Clark seems more confident, and he's every bit as big and physical, and he's much more athletic at this point than, than Barr is. And um, and the most important thing is that his his ability to assimilate the playbook quickly and to to be able to hold his own as a rookie was really only what four or five games into his into his career. Um, so he's in some ways. He's still in his rookie preseason, you know what I mean? Yeah. And he's uh, he, he, but he's allowed them to put Micah on the edge 
And the other guy I want, I think we have to take a moment to give an extra, extra helping of gravy to <laughs> some stuffing on the side, you know, give, give, give that guy another slice of lemon meringue pie um, is Dorrance Armstrong. So you just mentioned the fact that they didn't resign Randy Gregory. And, and I will, uh, you know, I'll happily raise my hand to say that I was one of those guys who thought that that was the major mistake of their offseason. That was the one that really got me because Randy Gregory was um, obviously other than Micah, but from the edge, from a pure edge standpoint, he was the most explosive pass rusher they had last year. There were a couple times he took over games and I just felt like losing that, they were really going to be missing something because where Micah was most dangerous was as a guy who could move around. Uh, sort of, you know, the, 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 the Troy Palomalu of linebackers where he could line up all over and, and attack people with angles and things like that. I think that's still true to some degree, but, um, and they still do that to some degree. But if you remember immediately after the Randy Gregory debacle, they quickly signed Dorrance Armstrong and we went, Oh great. They signed Dorrance Armstrong. You know, he, you know, Oh great. Another sort of big, slow run defending guy who might get one or two sacks. That's not going to help. The pass rush is not going to be any good. Woe is us. And in fact, Dorrance Armstrong has proven to be, um, a revelation, you know, I mean, he just got it. What he got a seventh sack of the year. You know, last night. That's what I thought, but I honestly thought somebody, I thought the broadcast said it's eighth sack. It might even be eight. I mean, I'm looking it, it up now. Cause you know, and the thing is a lot of those, a lot of those are, are sacks where like, you know, he doesn't even necessarily disengage with the, with the, the guy who's blocking him. He sort of pushes him into the quarterback. I mean, he's, he's been great at collapsing the pocket. He's been great at rushing from tackle. He, uh, you know, he's one of the, he's one of the elements that makes this thing go and, and he's relentless. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of coverage sacks and I don't think we should demean a player because he gets coverage sacks because what that means is he just won't quit. He's pushing guys into the pocket that, that second, that second sack against cousins that he got, or the second Derisaw uh, sack against cousins uh, last week where, um, where, where Dorrance Armstrong basically just blocked him into cousins and then like reached around him and kind of grabbed cousins and then let everyone else kind of jump on, uh, on the quarterback for the sack was, I mean, just an incredible display of, of power and, and uh, you know, uh, desire. You know, it, it, he he wouldn't quit on the play, and so um, yeah, I think I mean, kudos kudos to to Clark and kudos to Dorrance Armstrong, who are guys I think we didn't expect to see this from them this year, and they are um, both contributing to everything you're saying, but also I think you know allowing the team to be able to free up Parsons to do what he does to rush from multiple angles to to, I mean, he you know he he beat one of the best young left tackles in the game uh, a couple times soundly last year. And I'll say one other thing. I wouldn't be surprised if we see offensive coordinators stop rolling their quarterback out to the opposite side from where Micah is, because that's where he can actually win. Like he might not win it uh, off the snap, but if you roll your quarterback out so that he's on your blind side, he's eventually going to win. And when he does, he's so explosive. He's going to run that quarterback down unless there's unless there's like, you know, unless it's one of those sort of multi-level throws where he throws an easy, easy pass to the sort of, you know, to the, to the, to the, um, to the, you know, the short, the, the sort of low short level. Uh, I mean, I can't like last couple of weeks, man, when guys roll to their, to their right and he's been playing the right defensive end, he's run them down. And it's it's terrifying how quickly he gets there. Yeah, and sp- so I mean, you're, what you're seeing again is guys just saying we can't do that. It's never going to work. Let's not do it, or let's do it only rarely, or pick our spot. So what, what the defense is doing is is limiting the offensive possibilities. Like they're 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 sort of foreclosing on the offensive menu before the kickoff even happens, and that's pretty awesome too. Yeah, and you know, um, 
Speaking of running players down too, I think we should also give a little bit of uh, extra love to to Leighton Vanderesh too, because yes, that, absolutely, that guy is all over the place, and uh, and I, I'm very surprised. And I, I think it's very weird to think of, you know, because the Cowboys have been without Anthony Barr these last couple of games, and 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 just so happens that they're not missing him at all. And I do think I, at first I thought Demone Clark was kind of well, you can kind of say okay, well he's He's raw, and he's there's a lot to learn. I, w- I wasn't impressed with him right out of the gate, but I definitely see him progressing with each game, and, and he's looking very good. But also Leighton Vanderesh too. He shows up all the time. He's running down people and making plays. I mean, even that, even though the Giants got a touchdown of it, when he jumped over the line and, and stopped the quarterbacks, and like Daniel Jones was no not going anywhere on that quarterback mm-hmm. sneak, too. I mean, I think Vanderesh is quietly having one of his better seasons. Um, you know, I think this is his best rookie, uh, best season other than his rookie. Yeah, year. and so I mean, and and I think that one thing he's doing better this year is he's being more physical between the tackles. Like there have been several times when he's starting to really show, like he's starting to use his two hundred and fifty plus pounds to, to his advantage in that way. Yeah, and he gets he's got that length too, and he he'll get you. He'll, he'll you yeah. think that he's he's too far away, but he'll he'll run you down, and then he'll just use those arms and he'll he'll catch he'll catch somebody. Um, and it's I'm very been very impressed with Van Der Esch. I mean, it's just and of course Armstrong. He does have eight sacks, by the way. And I think that and you know and that he could have ten because he's came close a couple of times. But you know, it's like a race who gets the sack because my, you know Micah gets there pretty quick. So I I think he's it's just amazing that yeah that's right yeah, that's right you got you got to get there if you delay at all you're gonna lose that gonna, sack to, to the lion you are and honestly <laughs> they they've done that quite a bit it's like. One, it's like bing bang, who gets it, you know? And then sometimes, you know, they give it to the wrong guy too. I, but um, yeah, I just, it's just, it's just amazing to see these players, you know, just be able to to, to play this well. And I'm just, it's so, it's so nice. And I mean, I don't know if anyone could expect this, but it's just, uh, I mean, I think that it, again, it points to just what they can do when you have an offense that is starting to look a lot like they were in the beginning of last year. And I really, I want to, I want to get there, Brad. I'm just like, I'm just so anticipating. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about Mr. Prescott. And, um, cause I, I mean, if anyone listens to me or here's my tweets, I, I, I consider myself like a Prescott realist. I, I know we're all think we're realists, but to me, I, I'm not like a, I'm not a, a big Dak like over supporter, and at the same time, I'm, I'm certainly not a hater. I think he's a fantastic quarterback, but I am one of the more um, I, I scrutinize him a little more because it just comes with the territory because he just happens to be the guy that influences the Cowboys' success more than anybody else. And uh, so, to me, I feel like a lot of people like to point fingers at elsewhere to avoid pointing fingers at Prescott. Mm-hmm. I am not one of those guys, so I am hard on Prescott. I guess is what I'm saying, but. Grabs these last two games, even with the two picks, I don't even care. These last two games, the way he has thrown the ball and the way he has saw the, you know, gone through his progressions, and I am I am really excited about what I'm seeing. I don't know about you, but I mean, is is Dak back? Do you think that? I mean, we've two games now. Um, do you think that this this could be the quarterback that that takes this this Cowboys team deep into the playoffs? 
Yeah, I think he's. But I, I've often I've thought he was that guy for years now, right? I, I th- I've thought that he was that guy for a while. Um, I mean, I know there's been a couple stretches in like 2017, and you know, where he, or even like the the end of last year and the end of 2019 when he was pretty beat up, where he hasn't been this guy. Uh, so in some ways, maybe the fact that he was injured early in the year and it took some wear and tear off his body is is um, just like we talked about with Zeke. You know, is is gonna is gonna be a benefit. I think you're absolutely right that that Dak is the is the guy who stirs the drink. You know, we've we've talked about the fact that this defense is built to play from ahead, and that the the best thing about this team, even better, I think, than the quarterback play, but the quarterback play is pretty pretty up there, is their pass rush, right? And so the the pass rush is the best thing about the team. We were just extolling the virtues of the pass rush for the last ten minutes, um, but the pass rush can. Uh, can be taken out of the game if it's a close game and if you can go ahead and and, and stay in in uh, you know positive if, if opponents can stay in positive game scripts so how do you get them out of positive game scripts you do so because your quarterback uh is is hitting explosive plays this is this is the this is the whole key to it right and, and i've been saying this for for weeks and and i've been you know down on the cowboys um particularly in the in the cooper rush um period earlier in the year because I didn't think that he was the kind of quarterback who had the arm strength uh, to, to consistently uh, generate explosives in the passing game and therefore uh, to, to, to generate lots of scores. So the scoring came hard for them. It was, it was, you know, oftentimes they had to lead like 10, 10 play drives or get cheap scores and they were doing both of those things. And so they were able to stick to stay afloat, but like, they they were very rarely until the end of games in positive game scripts, and uh, while that was true yesterday, also um, it was it, it, there's a different quality to it. Dak is, uh, as we said earlier, doing things to create explosives in the passing game when guys aren't necessarily even wide open, and I think um, you know like I, I'm not sure that that you know this this re- this receiver group is. I think they're, they're emerging, right? So I think one of the things we also need to talk about uh, that we need to save a little bit of time for our conversation here is is what's been going on with C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup in the last couple of weeks because they have um, both elevated their game. But let's, but let's, let's continue to talk about Dak for just a second. Um, but I think that, you know, there seems to be a lot of throws that he's making where uh, he's making throws into tight window. He, he's making throws to guys who are, who are ostensibly covered. And he's, he's quote unquote, throwing them open, you know, or, or throwing, throwing to them uh, on the spot, you know, where the defender can't get it, but it's, you know, the, the, the offensive guy can get to the ball. Um, and that's, I think why that, you know, the, the thing I talked about earlier where he would, he had the highest CPOE, the highest completed uh, completion percentage of, uh, over expectation um, or completed passes over expectation of anybody in the last three years because, you know, he's playing above the level of the passing game and the receivers and um, and he's generating a lot of offense as a result. I think the offense is going to get uh, probably get even a little bit better once he gets, I think, even a little bit more acclimated and also once or when Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb continue to find their best selves. So let's talk about that for a second, because uh, you and I, you and I mentioned, I think, um, before we started to record, that this game in particular 
a little bit in the Giants, excuse me, in the Vikings game, but this game in particular was the one, the first time this year where we saw the Michael Gallup that we've known from previous years. Mm-hmm. And I would say also the last couple games are when we have seen C.D. Lamb emerge as the kind of dude who is a lead dog number one wide receiver. Mm-hmm. Thoughts thoughts about those two cats and what they mean to the passing. Game? I think that it, you know part of the thing we we mentioned before is kind of remember this is even though they're the same same cast of characters but they have different roles and we're, what we're seeing is kind of the, the everybody getting acclimated to those roles and we're seeing an increase in, in CD Lamb targets. Uh, so I think that Prescott and and Lamb are really starting to get a feel for what type of role they're having in this type of offense. Remember, this is a different offense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's important. Um, also, it, with with uh, Lamb, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's just kind of ramp up. And, and, I mean, some of the things that he's doing, some of the catches, it's just it's very remnants of, of what we've seen from CD, uh, from Michael Gallup, you know, with making those those tough catches, you know, jumping up and, and, and um, coming down with those balls. I think that. I mean, he looked fantastic. I really thought he was going to have a big game. He almost did too. If you know, if he there's a couple a couple big plays that he been able to hold on to that it could have Lamb mm-hmm. could have. I mean, uh, Gallup could have been over 100 yards as well. Uh, so, I mean, I really I, I love I love what I'm seeing there. I also too think that we need to just at least mention this. I mean, Dak Prescott has had a clean pocket these last two games. I mean, he hasn't even been close to being touched. He's just so that they're doing a fantastic job. And pass protection, and Prescott just—I think he feels more comfortable. And those guys, and you can still see that we're still a little bit. I—I I mean, like we'll get these penalties, you know, these the illegal formations, or or they'll still not be where they're supposed to be. There's there's still some things that they have to clean up. But uh, when those guys are are where they're supposed to be, you're really seeing the you know the fruits of their labor because, I mean. It, I, I think that C.D. Lamb and, and Michael Gallup are a fantastic wide receiver duo and very pleased with what we're seeing from those guys. And I do think it's only going to get better. And, and the Cowboys, the way this offense, again, it's this is a different offense. And, you you know, it, we don't just have those guys. We have the we have those tight ends. And th- that was super fun to watch yesterday. I think all of them made contributions. This is like the one of the – First games, I think, where we've seen all three of them basically just making big plays. Um, you know, like yeah, and, and and Sean McKean had like 15 snaps, so they, they they had four tight ends, each of whom had like I think 15 or more snaps. Yeah, That's pretty that awesome. That is pretty awesome too. And I didn't realize this, when when they all jumped in the in the kettle, it's like why where's McKean come from? I didn't like even realize he's on the field too. So it's like you got the way that they're using those guys. It's it's fantastic. And you know, you we talk about Dak too. It's like being so spot on with his throws. You know, he hit Dalton Schultz on a on a key third down play, and then yes. corner. Yes, another play you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and it was just so, such a well thrown ball. And remember, he did the exact same thing a week ago. That was one of Dak's three incompletions, where where mm-hmm. Schultz just didn't come down with the ball. But I mean, just to see those guys have so much um, rapport and like, and, and Prescott's like he knows where his guys are are at. And he's and, and those tight ends are really precision with their routes, and they're just just they do such a great job. I, I just I don't know, Rabs. I just I'm super excited about this group. It makes me just happy because they're comfortable with, with each, each other. They're only getting better. Remember, I, and I just keep repeating this: 
this is a new group. It's similar players, but just mm-hmm. different roles, different type of offense. But they're just kind of getting more and more comfortable, and they're doing more and more things, and there's just more and more flexibility with with this uh, offense. So I, it just it makes me really excited. I, I, I was so happy for Michael Gallup having a big game, and um, mm-hmm. and Lamb too just continues to, to just he, he continues to impress. Makes he could have. He could have had another huge game with some a couple of plays that he almost made as well too. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just love what I see from those guys. A hundred percent. And you know, if we think, if we go back to what we were saying earlier in the year, which was that the September games are essentially the preseason, <laughs> and then uh, October games, we didn't have Dak. For all of them, right? And maybe, maybe, maybe the maybe that giant, that, that excuse me, that um, that Lions game was in October, but for the most part, Dak's come back in in um, you know, in, in November. Then you know, in some ways, for for all intents and purposes, for the offense, because Kellen Moore and the other offensive staff had to cater the game plan for six weeks to Cooper Rush and what Cooper Rush can do and what he can't do, especially, right? You have to find ways to eliminate the things he can't do and try to maximize and create situations for things he can do. And they did that. They did a masterful job of that. For sure. You know, of, of helping him be as successful as he could be with the, with the limited pop Warner arm that he has. Um, so what that means then is that, as you're saying, like it's a new group every year. Like the offensive brain trust has some things they believe in, but you got to try them out on the field, and then and then you know players develop and they, and they develop new trusts. And you say, oh, you know what? I think we can do things where we send Hendershot down the seam. We didn't think so in training camp because he wasn't there yet as a player, as a young developing player. And so this team is still really like in late September, early October form in terms of its philosophical development as an offense, because it was put on hold for so long because the first, the first month of the season doesn't, nobody knows what the hell's going on because it's still the preseason. And then, and then we basically lost that. And, and then part of the next month to the Cooper rush uh, offensive philosophical build. So I think all the things you're talking about are right on the way that the way in which they, they figure out how to incorporate these tight ends. I and mean, we're seeing that develop all the time. We're seeing the, uh, the wide receivers develop, um, it's been it's been really really fascinating. I, I think you know the running game is is beginning to solidify. That's something they're trying to, trying to figure out. We talked about that before as well. Um, I do think that you know if if we want to if we want to nitpick, um, as you were saying, there's some there may be some penalty issues. I think penalties are sort of random for the most part. I think that you know pre-snap penalties are one of the things we can look at as team team seemed. I'll put it this way. I think this team seemed tired after playing three games in 12 days. And I think that fatigue manifested in the slow start. And I think it manifested in the, um, in the pre-snap penalties. But the tr- truth of the matter is they're so much better than the giants that they were able to overcome both of those. They uh, they're just better. Um, so speaking of better, let's take a look. If you don't, if you would indulge me at what's on the horizon schedule wise. So the, the Cowboys have had a really interesting schedule this year in the sense that they play basically played all of the uh, NFC North teams in, in a four-week stretch. Now they're going to play all of the AFC South teams in a five-week stretch. So we had a little division skirmish there. Now we've got the Colts, the Texans, the Jaguars. We'll, go, we'll play at uh, – we'll have the, uh, the Eagles at home, rather, on, on Christmas Eve, and then they'll go to Tennessee. So let's, let's talk about – I think everyone can circle this this game against the Eagles as a really big game, and it's going to be even bigger if 
you know, the football gods willing, the Eagles lose a game between now and then, because that means they conceivably would be playing for first place in the, in the NFC. Um, but let's talk about these next three games. we got the Colts. The Colts are four, six, and one, and the Texans and the Jaguars are bottom feeders. What do you think we're going to see? And, and, and what, what can we be looking at between now Thanksgiving and Christmas? You know, it's interesting because I obviously I look at this, you know, this AFC South stretch and with the Eagles sprinkled in there. Um, and I look at this like this is just we're just going to roll through this. There's on paper, neither of these teams will be able to handle handle the Cowboys. And it just looks like a, a, an opportunity for for the Cowboys to their pass rush to just completely dominate things. Obviously, the Colts, they have a good running game, good offensive line, good running back. So that'd be a little bit different. That's the one of the game that worries me in that sense, because I do think that they they can counter the Cowboys' strengths a little bit. And um, But besides that, with the Texans and then the, the Jaguars, and it's like, what's what, how are they going to have it? It's going to really take the Cowboys beating themselves to to not come away with you know big wins in those games. So, I mean, really, it's I would be disappointed, Rab, if – the Cowboys weren't eleven and three by the time Christmas Eve rolls around, and facing Philadelphia, and hopefully for a game that will have first round by implications, um, you know. Where, so, I mean, and also here too, you kind of mentioned that you know the, we made a good point about the on short rest and they look tired. Well, they're going to also look tired on the, their Titans when they travel to Tennessee because they got to do they got another Thursday game, which is very odd. I mean, they've had two Thursdays before, but usually they're back to back, so you don't get that sh- short rest mm-hmm. again. It's 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 unusual for a team to have that twice. This is this is one of those real schedule disadvantages. People talk about Cowboys always have a schedule disadvantage. No, everybody goes to, but when you have two Thursday night games, two separate, there's that that's that's a disadvantage because now you have two games where you'll have um, playing on short week. And but but to the advantage. It comes at a nice time because they turn around and get the long rest before the the commanders game. We don't know what if what if that game's gonna what kind of meaning that will have if the Cowboys are sitting there like they're going that they have to play in the wild card round and they got nothing to play for that that becomes very advantageous for the Cowboys to get that extra rest. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot lot to happen between on that. But I, I look at the schedule and I'm thinking, how does this not favor the Cowboys? You have, I mean, we only have six games left and. Um, in in the regular season, but it's definitely very favorable for for Dallas. Hundred percent. I think that when I look at this, um, again, I don't want to start counting chickens before they hatch, etc. Right, but I think that boy, the Cowboys are significantly better than any of their opponents they're playing. They've got the Colts and the Texans at home. They go to Jacksonville. I don't know that Jacksonville has a particularly you know, strong home field advantage. And frankly, by that point in the season, the Jaguars may well be, you know, be just uh, playing out the string. I'm actually not that worried about the Eagles either. I don't think that, I think that the Cowboys match up fine against the Eagles. I think that, you know, I think the Eagles are, are have their own struggles and i think that some of the things that that got them to that hot start are like turnover differential and things like that that aren't necessarily replicable so i think that the eagles are coming back down to earth a little bit they were quite lucky to beat the colts last weekend and obviously the week the weekend before that they lost the commanders 
they also have an incredibly easy schedule. I could see them not losing again before we before Christmas Eve, but I also could see them losing a game because I, I think that they're vulnerable. I'm not worried about the Eagles. The one that really worries me is the one you were just gesturing to, which is the Titans on short rest, because the Titans are exactly the kind of tough team that, um, you know, on short rest will be able to just kind of, you know, mash out a win. And so the one thing that I don't want to see is them, like, let's say the Eagles lose once between now and, and Christmas. Cowboys uh, beat them to take first place in the NFC East only to then, you know, succumb to the, the, the Titans' uh, tough defense and uh, running game in the following week, and then they end up being a wild card team again. That would be horrible to see them claw back into this thing, actually, you know, reach the pinnacle only to then fall back. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I think that, you know, that, that stretch, I, the Eagles and Titans, for multiple reasons. First of all, I think that if they if they do go into that game 11-3, whether the, whether the whether it's for first place or not, they're going to be geeked up. I think they want revenge against the Eagles. I think that they're going to be geeked up, and it's really hard to be geeked up twice in a row. And frankly, I think the Titans are probably a better team than the Eagles. I know the record doesn't suggest that they are, but they're a team that I think they scare me a lot more. And um, so that's going to be that's going to be the stretch that, that I think dictates the season and dictates the season in terms of like where they sit at the end, yeah. not not where you know not what happens in the playoffs. I, I think this team is capable of. Um, going on the road and winning playoff games uh, that's not that's not my concern so much as obviously this team's also probably the best team in the nfc and so they they're not positioned to be that right now they're they're still like in third and so um and but and you know and so the playoff run would be a heck of a lot easier if it's at home where this defense can play on on turf on astroturf and um i think you know this team is just better on on AstroTurf than they are in grass, yeah. and uh, I, I would obviously you know prefer not to have to go on the road and play on grass because I think that's when they're most vulnerable. It also, be um, uh, it's also they're they're uh, they're better when they have one less playoff game to have to play too. So I mean, absolutely, too. I mean, because uh, the playoffs are crapshoot, and the more the more times you expose yourself to that, the more chances you have of getting eliminated. The more playoff rounds there are. I mean, this is historic. Like, if we look at baseball since you know since the seventies, like when you won your division, you had to win one playoff round to get to the World Series, and then it was two, and then it was three, and 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 now we see more upsets of, of top teams because there's more opportunities for that. And the same things happen right. in the NFL playoffs where the more rounds you have, the more likely it is that uh, the number one seed gets knocked off. And we've seen that happen, you know, since they, since they went to, um, you know, um, more playoff teams in the early two thousands, yeah. we saw, we've seen a drop off in number one seeds, et cetera. So uh, obviously the, any, that, that can happen, but we, the, you want fewer. You want fewer opportunities to be exposed to an upset. Yeah, and one thing too, Raps too. Uh, that's I'm a little curious about. And, um, like I expected the Giants to, and I don't mean to discredit them. I just, I did. I expected them to kind of have a a, a fallout. And I mean, not a total collapse, but just I knew the schedule was going to be a little bit rougher for them. Now they've lost three of the last four. We're kind of starting to see more of what we thought that, that they were. Um, they're still, you know, a better team mm-hmm. than than I thought they would be this season, but. You know they're not they're they're not as good as their record has been, and then I think we're, they're starting to show that. But I wanted to quickly point out that you you mentioned like the Eagles may not lose between now and Christmas Eve either, and I think it's very it's unfortunate that the Cowboys squandered the Green Bay game, and that the Colts game last week that the Eagles can 
didn't end up losing that game because I think those are two opportunities to where if 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 those yep. are changed, even if just one's changed, we're the outlook of the NFC is in is a little different. But I, I do want to point out that if this Eagles team plays like they did, you know, at Indianapolis last week, I mean, the Green Bay Packers are all, you never know. I mean, nobody they, yep. you never yep. know. Yep. So I mean, what if Rodgers does what to them what they did what he did to us? So you have that. You have the Titans that you mentioned. That that's not going to be a gimme. Then they have to go to New York and play a probably at this time a pretty desperate New York Giants team, and then they got to go to Chicago, and which you never know what the weather could be there, and play a Justin Fields, you know, who's running all over the place now. So those are four games where any one of those could end up being all losable, all, all losable. Yeah, so absolutely. it's gonna, it could, it, I mean, we come Christmas Eve, you know, we look at that with it. This could be a game where the Cowboys, this is their chance to to catch the Eagles, but it also it could be an opportunity to where they can not let the Eagles get back ahead of them. I mean, they, they could be tied yeah. by that point. We, we don't know. So, um, so I, I think, I think, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. But I think the other thing about this is when we talk about these scenarios, the one thing that we tend to do is assume the Cowboys are going to win out. Right. And so the, we look at the Cowboys schedule and we think every one of those games is a winnable game. It is. The Cowboys are a good team. But when it, that would require that they win the last eight games of the year if they win out every game after the Packers game. And that, I mean, surely there's going to be another time where there is a misstep. There's a couple goofy bounces or they or they just get beat up by the Titans or something happens, right? So so if we think, I mean, if the Cowboys go 13-4, and four, they lose one of their, their remaining games and go 13-4, and four, that's not a not unrealistic scenario. But what that means is the Eagles, they have to beat the Eagles. That, that, that can't be the, the, the fourth loss. And they also then, the Eagles have to lose three more Two. games. Two two more games in addition to the to the, the one of those the yes. Cowboys, so that's that's a that's a that's tough. I mean, I, I think it's entirely possible. I think the the, the Eagles are probably going to be more vulnerable than, than they were because they're, the, as I said before, the things that, that that got them those early leads that allowed them to make other teams one dimensional are probably not that replicable. Um, but that's a tough that's a that's tough to imagine they'll lose three more games. I really think that we're going to find out a lot about who who the Eagles are as well as the Cowboys between now and Christmas Eve. I think that hundred percent. Oh, so it's, I mean, we don't know if, if the Eagles, if they turned around and started playing and, and, and smoking teams and, and they got, and they just had, they rebounded, even though the Colts game wasn't a loss, but they kind of rebounded and re got themselves playing like they were earlier. Then, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a different situation than if they're struggling and sneaking by wins. And, or and so, I mean, there's still there's a lot that we have to figure out, and um, I'm really curious mm-hmm. how it's how it's going. But I tell you what, with when I when we have a quarterback that's playing as well as he is, combined with this this defense that's able to kind of pin its ears back, it's just. I mean, I'm just so excited about the Cowboys. I mean, it's it's easy to to get be excited, but I I feel like this is this is could be one of the best teams in the league, and uh, I'm just especially if. Mm-hmm. if their quarterback continues to play like he's playing. Yeah, it's funny because I remember last year, the beginning of the year, people were like, this team is different. This team is different. I was like, no, I mean, not sure. they've, they've gone on stretches before where they played pretty well. Uh, I know they were getting turnovers, but again, that's not, that's not always something that's replicable game to game and certainly not year to year. So I was, I was, I was reserving judgment. And then, so then a lot of people were like, Oh yeah, same old Cowboys. I was like, well, I mean, both, both the team that played at the beginning and the end of last year are the same old Cowboys. Cause this is, this is the NFL. 
this team does feel different. And I think it feels different because of the pass rush. Like they haven't had a pass rush like this for a long time, not since 2008, 2009. It's been a long time. And um, it's, it's, it's scary. It's dangerous, but they also have more playmakers in the backside than they did in those, in, in those days. And, uh, uh, but I think, you know, they're every bit as good as, as like the best of the 2019. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be really, it's going to be exciting because I, I could see them going on a run. It, it's, it's possible. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think that they're poised to do that. Certainly. Yeah, no, agree. I mean, one thing it's, is, um, one thing for sure is that we are, this Cowboys team is going to make the playoffs back to back years for the first time since 2007. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think that. I think that the, I think it shows shows the development of these players and how good this team is, and I'm super excited about what's coming down for this Cowboys team this last mm-hmm. stretch of the season. But you know what? Um, that is all that we have for today. I hope everybody has had a good Thanksgiving, and it's obviously it's nice to it's nice when the Cowboys can provide a nice little treat. And it's been a while for us, Rabs. We haven't had that. Um, for a while because the Cowboys have, have been losing on Thanksgiving, but that is no more. Uh, but if you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blogging Boys Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you'd like us to do different to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any Cowboys hot topics, you know, favorite moments of the game, or what's your favorite Thanksgiving side dish, hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom 24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the World's Team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart, so make sure to check that out. But that's all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver blue, and we will catch you later. Last is missed.